0: Heavenly Father, we recognize you as not only our Father and Savior, but as our Creator. The one who, in fact, made all that is seen and unseen in six days and then rested gloriously on the seventh. You said, following your creation, that it is good, and in fact it was, without blemish, without sin. You've given us great clarity, and I pray we'll do so even more this morning on the rhythm of life that you expect us to lead, both in work and in rest. We admit to you, Father, that as a people and as a culture, we are off the mark. We don't know how to rest or worship very well, and that work-rest balance for most of us is not in line with your Word. We ask, Lord, that you would be gracious with us and change our hearts and change our minds this morning, that we might find true eternal Sabbath rest in Jesus Christ, and that rest might make its way into each and every one of our days, culminating here on the Lord's Day. We know and we believe, Father, that you know what is best for us. And so this day, this Lord's Day that you made, has been given to us as a great and glorious gift. I pray that we would receive it and practice it well. We thank you so much, Father, for fulfilling the Sabbath work and the Sabbath day in Christ himself so that we can, in fact, rest in our work knowing that Christ completed it for us and that we are justified by his work upon the cross and not what we do. We want to work well in the rest that you've given us. Cause us this morning to hear this glorious teaching from Exodus chapter 16 and repeated throughout the word of God that we might understand how to rest and worship here on your Lord's day. I pray you would compel us not to reject it but instead cause us to obey it in love as we trust in you to provide in all ways and in all things. We pray, Father, for Cambrian Park Baptist Church, we pray for all of the true churches here in the South Bay and throughout this country. We, we lift up this morning, Father, a dear brother, Brandon Bishop, who had a chance this morning to preach at a church in Colorado as they begin to revitalize a great work there. We ask, Lord, that you would take the message that he preached and you would apply it to the hearts and minds of those that heard. We ask, Lord, that you would bless that church and revitalize them, making them a great gospel light in their community. We pray as well, Lord, for our brothers and sisters here in our own backyard in the South Bay, that you would give them this day a greater understanding of the Lord's day and what it means to rest and worship in Christ. We ask that you would do this, Lord, not only that their lives might be blessed as they go through their weeks, but more importantly, that you might be glorified in that blessing. We ask it all in Christ's holy name. Amen. Sabbath Rest in Worship, that's the title of the sermon. I originally titled it Sabbath Rest, but the focus of the entire passage, in fact, the concept of Sabbath Rest, really comes down to, can we rest in our worship? Are we able to go through our days and our weeks and gather on a Lord's Day like this and worship as we rest? And so my hope and my prayer this week has been that I would be able to rest even as I preach to you. You know, being raised in a secular culture not coming to a saving grace until I was in my early 20s, I've spent the last 23, 24 years trying to root out a lot of the really evil stuff that's made its way into my life. I imagine that you have done the same, either from your upbringing or from the cultural influence that makes its way into your adult life. We're constantly fighting to align ourselves with the Word of God, with with the Gospel. One such struggle for me, and I imagine it's not just my struggle, is the rhythm of life, the pace of life. You know, most of you know I'm doing some studies in Louisville, and when I go to Louisville, it's a little slower than this place. Strangely slow at times, and I find myself impatient with them not moving faster, and yet I realize that's probably my sin, that they're probably moving at a much better pace than I would like. This rhythm that we want to look at today is this rhythm between work and rest. How are we striking it? Are we even thinking about it? In some cultures, and I would say our current cultural moment, there's too much work, the work is too long, the work is too hard, and we're being pressed into it. That's been my observation for the last several decades here in Silicon Valley. In other cultures, it's not enough work. We have slothfulness and laziness. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in Greece, but they've got some serious issues with work. I'm so thankful that God very early in his redemptive plan gave us a a type, a prototype, of what this rest, work, rhythm looks like. In other words, God has a plan for not only his people, but for all people and how we're supposed to work this out. So we we have revealed knowledge here. We don't have to be ignorant. Coming out of slavery under Pharaoh, there was no such thing as rest for the Israelites. God wanted His people to learn this quickly, how to work and rest well and to come in line with His created order. And so He instituted a Sabbath day, and Sabbath means to cease or to desist. And so a Sabbath day is to cease or desist from the regular six-day work routine. So whatever you do in our culture moment, Monday through Saturday, you're not supposed to do on Sunday if you're going to rest in the context of this Sabbath day. It was a day to rest and to worship God. So important was this teaching that four times in Exodus, he teaches to it specifically and in detail. In fact, the Bible speaks of Sabbath rest and Sabbath days over 170 times. So if you've never contemplated it or you've dismissed it, today would be a day to realign your theology on Sabbath rest and what it means. It's a very simple teaching, but it's very difficult for us to do. You don't have to be a master theologian to understand what God is revealing, but you do have to have discipline in the faith to actually exercise it. Look at verse 21. Morning by morning they gathered it, they gathered the manna, each as much as he could eat, But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So the Lord, early on, did you notice this? He is teaching His people discipline. they got to come out every single day, morning by morning, they have to work. And He's also teaching against slothfulness. If you don't get up and gather the manna before the sun comes out, it melts. And guess what? You go hungry that day. And so God is shaping work for His people. Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers, which is about two quarts or two liters each. And then God blessed them with double portions on day six, enabling them to what? To rest on the Sabbath day. Verse 23, this is what the Lord has commanded. So here is the teaching. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. Now remember, on the first six days, if they keep it, It rots in the morning, but he says you can do that now, and on the seventh day, the day of rest, you can actually rest and you can actually worship. So they wouldn't be struggling or worried about providing for their physical needs. Now, many within the church today, and I pray not many of you, don't even know that the commandment to Sabbath rest that Steve just read is in the Ten Commandments. It's number four. It's important. For those that do know, many consider the Sabbath rest as not as important as murder, idolatry, or covetousness. Now, we're going to, by God's grace, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11 in Exodus 20, and we're going to look practically at what the Sabbath day looks like in the context of the church today. We're not going to be covering a lot of that today. I want to establish some groundwork. This is kind of a two-part sermon, one today and then one several weeks from now, so you have to remember this for a long time, all right? So do that. Keep it in the back of your mind because I don't want to re-preach it. Some argue that it's, the Sabbath day is obsolete because Christ fulfilled it, and in fulfilling it, it no longer applies. And some will actually quote Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where Paul talks about not passing judgment on one another regarding festivals, new moons, and Sabbath days, plural. We did that in Colossians 2. That shouldn't be a struggle for you. So the question from this text and others like it is this. Is the Sabbath obsolete and therefore does not pertain to Christians today? Or, better question, is the weekly gift that God gives man to rest and to worship still available to us? And if it's available to us, can we still enjoy it? I want to ask and I want to answer that question by looking at four Sabbath aspects. One, Sabbath origins. Two, Sabbath purposes three Sabbath breaking, and four Sabbath gifts. So if you've never heard a sermon preached on the Sabbath, you're going to today. That is going to be the focus if you can't tell from the four points. Number one, Sabbath origins. So the principle of the Sabbath predates Exodus chapter 16 and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. The precedent is set, as you heard read from Genesis chapter 2, during the creation account. Now I want you to listen because this is important. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, we are told, The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Then on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. And then He said in verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. And so way before Exodus chapter 16, way before the wilderness journey of the Israelites, God established a Sabbath day following his good creation that he might enjoy it, that his creation might enjoy it, and he sets a day apart, a holy day set apart for him. It's his day. And he set it apart that his creation might, one day a week, stop and give him honor and glory. He did this so that part of his redemptive plan would be us doing this just like this. Look at verse 29 in our passage. Moses writes, verse 29 The Lord has, past tense, given you the Sabbath. Now, most argue that this was an oral teaching coming straight out of Genesis chapter 2. So, before the law, before the wilderness experience, the Israelites had an understanding of the Sabbath day going back to creation. And that's why most theologians and most churches historically have argued that the Sabbath day is a creation ordinance, not an ordinance that came to the Israelites and therefore ended at the end of the old covenant. They argue for this permanence in all people in all places at all times, not just Jews in the old covenant or Christians in the new covenant honoring this day that God made. And they argue that, I think, effectively because a weekly Sabbath rest, now listen, is part of what it means to be human. A weekly Sabbath rest is part of what it means to be human. God worked six days and then he rested on the seventh. Man being created in the image of God is to work six days and we are to rest on the seventh as well. And by keeping the Sabbath day, do you realize that you have the ability to glorify God by being distinguished from all other creatures? As a human being, my beloved, we alone are able to imitate God in this way, following his rhythm of work and rest by resting on the Sabbath day. And here in Exodus chapter 16, what God is doing is as he recreates a people for his own glory, he's doing that in a manner they will imitate him. And so he uses their wilderness experience, he uses his timed provision as a training ground. They're to go out and gather for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're not supposed to gather, they're supposed to rest and eat from God's provision from the previous six days. God would sustain them, and they would trust in that. The elders, I think, were a bit confused On that first week, look at verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. So lots of dialogue on how that happened. But we can understand it as an additional provision given by God on day six to carry them through day seven. So they didn't have to worry about it. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders leaders of the congregation came, they told Moses as though something was wrong. You know, God piled up the bread, piled up the manna, piled up the quail on Friday going into Saturday, and the elders are a bit confused. But this was the plan. Work six days, rest on the seventh, and in so doing, imitate your Creator. One commentator, Peter Enns, made this observation, and it really struck me. He writes quote it is not simply that the sabbath is observed here by the israelites and that they refrain from gathering food rather listen it is god who refrains from supplying the food it is he who ceases working so that no manna or quail is to be found when god rests his people are supposed to rest this was the rhythm of life that god established for his people and we can say, once established for all mankind. So I believe that it's clear that the Sabbath origin goes back to a creation ordinance. And therefore it doesn't apply to the, old, to the Jews in the Old Testament or Christians in the New Testament. It applies to all people in all places at all times. should be stopping one day a week to rest and worship the living God. That means it's for you too, if you didn't know that. If you thought, well, the Sabbath day is the day for those who are Jews, that's not true. So the question then becomes, I think for us, what what is the purpose of this? What is the primary purpose of a Sabbath day being established by God? Point number two, I pray you're still with me. My beloved, we kind of get this. We don't do this well. And you know, when you swim in polluted water a long time, you don't know that you're drinking polluted water. We swim in a culture right now that does not know a work-rest balance according to the Word of God. And I would argue that there's not an exception to that rule in this church right now. I know I struggle with it. So I want you to listen. We want to align our lives with the Word of God. We want to get this right as a church. Sabbath purposes. Centuries after the Exodus 16 account, when God establishes Sabbath, six days work, one day rest for His people, he says something to the prophet Ezekiel about this encounter. And it's, it's extraordinary, so I'm going to read a bit of it to you. So God is speaking to Ezekiel about the Israelites in the desert centuries before. God said to Ezekiel, from Ezekiel chapter 20, God said, I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my Sabbath, listen, as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And so through the prophet Ezekiel, we get this incredible insight into Exodus 16 that the Sabbath is actually a sign between God and his people that we might know that it's God, God's the one who sanctifies, who makes holy an unholy people. This is his doing as revealed in the Sabbath itself. A sign between God and his people that he will make us holy. And he does this in part by compelling the Israelites in Exodus 16, to trust in his provision, right? That they have six days of food and don't worry about the seventh because God is a good God and he will provide for their needs on that seventh day. So part of the sanctification process is trusting that God will provide for physical needs. Look at verse 21. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, so they weren't going to go without. And he provides for their spiritual needs. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So by trusting in God's word, following his work, rest, rhythm for life, they would not only honor this Yahweh, this God who redeemed them, as all the nations would watch, this very strange people, work for six days and then rest on the seventh and not violate that, They would not only honor his name amongst the people throughout the world, but they would also, listen, they would also grow in faith because they'd have to have faith to believe that God would provide on day seven since they weren't going out and gathering the manna or the quail. And I would argue, my beloved, that if you're growing in faith, you are being sanctified, are you not? I mean, that is the great struggle. When we talk about the battle of sanctification, of being holy as God is holy, it is a battle over faith. It is a battle over belief to trust in our God, to trust in His Word, to trust in His Son, to trust, I mean, really believe, to have faith that His plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. And so, as God grows them in their faith here in the wilderness, and as God grows you in your faith, He is in the process of sanctifying. And one of the ways He does that is through a Sabbath day. Now, by the time we get to the New Testament, When we hear about Sabbath day, we know that they, the Jews had really perverted what it meant to rest and worship on that Sabbath day. We come to the gospel accounts and we find Jesus encountering the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we realize that the the Pharisees in particular had come up with hundreds of laws, man-made laws, particularly pertaining to the Sabbath alone. And I try, I went through several of these and I was overwhelmed. Many of these by the way and added to are exercised and practiced by orthodox Jews today. And as I read through my heart was broken and how bound they were to things that God had no desire for them to do. A few examples on the Sabbath day in our Lord's day, a Jew could not walk more than a Sabbath day's journey. And that was approximately 3000 feet, about a half mile total walking time, and so they actually had to count their steps. Imagine that. They were forbidden to carry a needle and thread at the same time, lest they be tempted to put them together and actually do a little work. They could only carry a certain amount of weight, usually equal to a certain amount of barley, grains of barley, anything more than that, and it was against their man-made rules. And what they had done by the time that Jesus came on the scene is they had turned this glorious gift from God God gives it to man, for man, rest and worship. They had turned it into a burdensome day of drudgery and religious restrictions. So if you were to be transported back to the day of Christ and you were to ask a Jew, tell me about the Sabbath, they would cringe and they would shudder because it was so burdensome to them. In Mark chapter 2, we're told that one Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields. Most of you know this story. And as he and his disciples were making their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, scriptures actually talk about, Exodus talks about no reaping, right? No reaping as in an agricultural sense for the crops. This would not be classified as such, but the Pharisees came along and said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What is not lawful according to our man-made pharisaical laws is what they were asking. And so, so what does Jesus do? He reminds them of David when he was uh, fleeing from Saul, how he took the holy bread and ate it and gave some to his, uh, his men. And then Jesus said this to them, listen. This is from Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to bless man. Not be burdensome. And then he said in verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath because the Son of Man is the one who blesses mankind. The Pharisees accused Jesus of of breaking the Sabbath because they missed the purpose. They had so twisted the Sabbath day and made it so bound to their religion that they missed that the Sabbath was that man might rest and worship God to be a glorious day set apart for God and for man and their accusations against Christ. It was Jesus, by the way, in Genesis chapter 2, who rested on the seventh day because he's the one that created all that is seen and unseen, and they accused him of breaking it. It was Jesus here in, in Exodus chapter 16 who gave the Israelites the Sabbath day, teaching them to rest and worship God, and they accused him of breaking it. It was Jesus who would fulfill the Sabbath day on behalf of us. He would complete it through the work of the cross, and they accuse him of breaking it. Christ could not break the Sabbath day. He's the one who made it. He's the one who gave it to us. The Sabbath was not given by God to be burdensome to man. Listen, it was, it is a gift. To sanctify us, to make us holy, that's a gift. Through rest and through worship. Look at uh, verses, the latter part of verse 29 and verse 30. It was to be a day of solemn rest. Where the people were to, look at the latter part of verse 29, Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. Verse 30, so the people rested on the Sabbath day. Now for decades, you know this, the Israelites had no rest in Egypt. They were slaves. They were working machines. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, they labored. You remember their taskmasters? how they would beat them when they did not perform their quota in making the bricks. The Egyptians did not believe in paid vacation or maternity or paternity leave. They didn't believe in any time off, not a weekend, not a Saturday, not a Sunday. In Deuteronomy 5.15, Moses actually recalls this, what we would call a restless rhythm in Egypt, work and no rest. He says in Deuteronomy 5.15, Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, Therefore, listen to this, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Remember how you had to work day in and day out. Now the Lord commands you to rest. What a good God we have. We do not know how to rest. We do not know how to rest physically or spiritually or emotionally. And our God is so good, he comes along and says, you must rest. Praise God is right. This rest would distinguish their life in Egypt from their life in following Yahweh. It would distinguish their serving Pharaoh and their serving the Lord. To Pharaoh, the Israelites, they were just expendable working machines used and disposed of, but not to God. To God, His people, all people are precious. They were valued and therefore He cared for them. He says, yes, work hard in those six days, but on that seventh day, I want you to rest. I want you to rest in your worship of me. My beloved, listen. Here's a simple application. God believes you're that precious too. He loves you that much. He so desperately wants you to understand this too. My workaholics in here, those of you who cannot turn off, those of you who cannot shut down, night, day, morning, afternoon, Saturday, Sunday, God desires for you to know rest. So by God's grace, you will hear more of it this morning and find that as well. There's a second thing about this day, though. They're being fed through the six days, having no burden of going out and collecting on that seventh day, no need to gather the manna, no need to gather the quail. It enabled them to focus on worship, on their spiritual condition. Look at verse 23. The day was to be, verse 23, a holy Sabbath day to the Lord. Not just a day of rest, sitting at home, watching Netflix. It was a holy Sabbath day to the Lord. And then he says again in verse 25, today is a Sabbath day to the Lord. And this is so amazing, my beloved. It was to be a day of rest and enjoyment in our worship of God. It was to be a day where we truly rest and we relax from the burden and the hardship of the week, that we might come and gather and worship unto the Lord. In other words, resting in our worship of Him. And specifically, we know both then the development of the tabernacle and the temple system and the worship we will see come in the latter part of Exodus in our corporate worship of God. What we're doing right now, God intends for you to rest in it. Here in Exodus 16, the methods of that worship had yet to be developed. We're not there yet. We don't have the the religious practice, the corporate worship that the Israelites were going to engage in. But what does God do? God's the perfect teacher. And so before he gives methods, he has to establish a foundation. He says, we got to pick a time. We got to pick a day when we're going to gather as a people and I will be in your midst and you will worship me. And so he designates that day as the Sabbath day, a day, now listen, when his people could be freed from the concerns of working and the concerns of provision and come before the Lord with the people And pray to God and sing to God and preach and proclaim and know the word. And in our case, take communion and enjoy the sweet fellowship of the saints. So I want to ask you this morning, how did you come in to this sanctuary this morning? Did you come in desiring to experience the rest of God? For some of you, I imagine it was a long week. Right, the odds are pretty high that some of you had very long weeks. Maybe you worked all the way up through last night and you were tired and you got up this morning. Did you come in here expecting rest? I don't mean rest as in sleeping through the sermon. I pray that you don't rest like that. That is rest, but not the right rest. Did you come in with that sense of peace and satisfaction in God? that you don't have to worry this morning about all the things you worried about this past week, that you can come in and through your worship, no true rest. Stop thinking about your job. Stop thinking about your mortgage and your health or your children and your grandchildren. Today is the Lord's day. I will rest in my worship of Him. That's what God desires for His church because that's what is best for His people. So the primary purpose I hope we don't miss this or I just have done a horrible job. The primary purpose of the Sabbath day then and now is, to, is for God to sanctify His people through rest and worship. Right? Not Old Covenant, not New Covenant. Sanctification through rest and worship. And therefore it becomes applicable to all people and all places at all times, including Cambrian Park Baptist Church. We want to rest and worship and be sanctified so that we can be like Him. Right, Genesis chapter 2, we're creating His image to become as He is. Rest and worship leads us in that direction. And this is why, my beloved, I, I believe that the breaking of the Sabbath was so severe and such a big deal to God in the Old Testament. And I believe a big deal to God now. It was not simply a violation of His law. It was a rejection of being made holy as He is holy. It was saying to God, I, I don't need the rest and I don't need the worship, Lord. Certainly grievous in that it's contrary to His plan for us. But even more so, it's a rejection of the very means of grace He's given to His people for centuries to become holy as He is holy. Which leads to our third point Sabbath breaking. Many Christians in the Western church, they struggle honoring the Sabbath day. I would imagine if you were to pull an evangelical today and say, talk to me about the Sabbath day. Talk to me about the Lord's day. They'd say, That's not part of us. That's a Jewish teaching. Old Testament, Old Covenant, I don't worry about that. Why do we struggle so much with it? Well, certainly it's not being taught. I don't think being taught well or taught enough. We live in a culture right now that does not honor the Lord's day. That didn't always used to be the case. If you're a little bit older, even I remember at my young age, I still remember, you guys know the term blue laws? Yeah, the blue laws, when states actually passed laws that prohibited businesses and certain activities from taking place. And in some of those states where there were no blue laws, companies just did it. They would not work on the Lord's Day to ensure that they won, honored God and provided people the opportunity to rest and worship the Lord. I like that model. I'm not big on government regulation of that kind of thing. But I love companies like Chick-fil-A. I love companies like, what's the other one? Hobby Lobby, where they will not exercise business activity on the Lord's Day so that people, their employees, can rest and worship God. Unfortunately, there are many more companies who embrace the Egyptian rhythm of life. Seven days a week, all year long some of you experience that struggle some of you battle that right now so we live in a culture that rejects it another reason and i think uh, likely a greater reason for most of us is we we don't want god setting our agenda not even on the lord's day you're not going to tell me when to get up you're not going to tell me how long to worship you're not going to tell me when to fellowship lord lord on the lord's day And so we just set our own agenda and we reject it. I think some of us are afraid of legalism, and that's a legitimate concern. In light of the fact that the Sabbath day is one of those aspects of our faith that has been abused for centuries, we ought to be rightly concerned about a legalistic approach toward the Sabbath day. I think we also fear legalism and this idea that you know we may violate um, grace in the practice of this glorious gift. Some of us are worried that if we don't work on the Sabbath day, we're going to get behind. Some of you are in positions, in work positions, where your colleagues are working seven days a week. So you take one day off a week, four to five days a month, that's going to add up, and you're going to fall behind. If you struggle... With this day being set apart for the sanctification of your soul and rest and worship, know that you're not alone. The Israelites struggled too. Look at verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people, some of the people, not all, went out to gather, but they found none. why they find none? Because God was resting. God wasn't providing. He was resting that day. Verse 28, and the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So God provides for six days straight. On the sixth day, he provides double provision for the seventh day, and all they have to do is trust him. And yet, verse 27 said, they still went out to gather on the Sabbath. They still went out on that Saturday morning thinking, Where's the bread? Clear instructions. Six days of work, one day of rest, for those created in the image of God to begin to exercise a pre fall rhythm of work and rest in this new created people. But they refused to trust God at His Word. Some likely did not believe that that bread, remember, on Sunday through Thursday, the morning of the bread would rot. They didn't believe it's not going to rot on the Saturday morning, so they thought, we better better go out again because we're not going to have anything to eat this entire day. Others, I think, just wanted to get ahead. They think, well, everybody else is relaxing. I'm going to go out. I'll double my portion. I'll bring it in. What I don't eat, I'll sell to someone else. Make a profit. My beloved, listen, simple principle here. To not believe and obey God's word to doubt his goodness, his truthfulness in what he says, is not an option for God's people then or now. You have staked, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have staked your entire life and all eternity on God's word being true. You have put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Of the word of God, Jesus Christ. In the hope that he will in fact save you from the dead. You put your faith in the fact that he will forgive you of your sins. That he will impart to you perfectly his righteousness. That he will deliver you from the grave. That he will raise you bodily from the dead. That he will bring you into his kingdom. You put all your faith and all your hope in that because that's what God's word says. Now if we can't trust God that he will provide for us our daily needs. If we can't trust God with one day a week resting and worshiping like this, my beloved, I don't know how we're going to be able to trust him that on the day of judgment, he will not adjudicate us for our sins and cast us into hell forever. God understands that to break the heart of the Sabbath is more than going out and gathering a little more manna. To break the Sabbath is to violate the covenant trust that God has made with his people, that he will, by grace, through faith in Christ, provide. So serious, and you know this, and we're going to look at it again when we get to Exodus 20. So serious was Sabbath breaking that under the law of Moses, the punishment for it was what? It was death. Exodus 31 You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Six days you shall work, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. And then he says in verse 15, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. And you say, that seems extreme, Lord. They're just going out and getting a little bit of food. They're just gathering a few extra quail just in case. Just in case what? just in case god doesn't provide just in case his word is not true it's a covenant violation my beloved it is god's people saying to god the creator and sustainer we do not trust you and if there's no trust in god there's no relationship so we've seen i pray if you're still with me the origin of the sabbath goes back to a creation ordinance genesis chapter 2 the purpose of the sabbath simple the sanctification of god's people in rest and worship on the lord's day Number three, the importance of the Sabbath. We know that by the degree of the punishment for those who violated it. Last point, Sabbath gift. Why was God so displeased when they violated the Sabbath? Look at verse 27 again. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Verse 29, see the Lord has given you... The Israelites, God's people, God has given you the Sabbath. When you think of Sabbath, I want you to think of gift. It is a gift from God to all mankind and especially his people. The Sabbath is a gift and it's a gift for our own good. And so God is rightly displeased not only in the revelation of their hearts and the violation of the covenant trust that they were to have with him, but it was detrimental to them when God gives his people a gift, it's for their betterment. It's for their well-being. And we, we get this. If you have a brother who is struggling making rent and refuses to take money from you so he can stay in his place and instead does not pay his rent, gets evicted, and is now homeless, would you be upset with your brother? Wouldn't you say to your brother living in the car, why didn't you take money? I was trying to bless you. Yes, you would. If your best friend is struggling in their calculus class and you are a math major and you know calculus well and you come to your best friend and say, let me help you, let me bless you, let me give you the gift of tutoring, I'll do it for free, we'll work every day and that friend says no and that friend fails calculus and that friend drops out of school, wouldn't you be displeased? And say, why didn't you let me bless you? Of course you would. The gift of the Sabbath, my beloved, is a gift from God to his people that he might bless us. If you, have, if you look at the Sabbath in any other way besides a gift from God to bless you, you're seeing it wrongly. Maybe as the Pharisees did, maybe as those who were subject to the Pharisees' religion. And here's the glorious news. The Sabbath rest is available to you today. You don't have to go back to Judaism and the Old Testament and the Old Covenant to enjoy Sabbath rest today. There have been a few changes but the heart of the Sabbath has never changed. Sanctification through rest and worship in God. Following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Sunday, rather than Saturday, became what many throughout church history have called the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day. And so we've seen that movement historically and this is very early in the life of the church. Paul, in fact, I had it read today as the offering verse. Paul, in directing the church in Corinth regarding the offering, he alluded to this Sunday gathering. 1 Corinthians 16, As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday, not Saturday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. And then in In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, at the very beginning, talks about this Revelation, uh, Revelation 1.10. He said, I was in the Spirit on what? On the Lord's Day. And so early in the corporate practice of worship for God's people in the New Testament, we see this movement away from a Saturday Sabbath to a Sunday Lord's Day, mostly because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ being on Sunday. But the most significant change was in how they celebrated the day. You see, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a sign from God, remember, to sanctify them. And so the Old Testament saints, they could look back to Genesis 2 and they could remember God's creation and how God would provide for them as the great creator. And they could look to Exodus 16 and the wilderness experience of their forefathers and remind themselves that, yes, God will provide even on the seventh day, even when they rest. And based upon those things, they would look forward to the Messiah coming, They're hoping the Savior who would come and rescue them as a people and bring them into what? Into the eternal Sabbath rest of God forever and ever. So here's the great change for us. Oh, we're supposed to go back to Genesis 2. I want to recall God's resting on the seventh day in Genesis 2. And I want to go back to Exodus 16. And I want to remind myself daily, God will provide for my needs too. But we don't have to look forward to the Messiah coming. He has already come. And so we, as Christians, in this time, we look to Christ and celebrate the Sabbath because He has fulfilled it. Now, when I say He has fulfilled it, that He has brought Sabbath rest to us, this is how He did it. He came as a man. He lived a sinless life, a human life in perfect rest and worship to God. And then He ascended the cross and He bore our sins And he accomplished the work of reconciliation. The hardest work, the greatest work that was to take place was not God creating the world in six days. It was reconciling fallen man. And so Christ comes and he accomplishes that work. And upon the cross, you know what he said. He said, it is finished. What is finished? The work is finished. Christ completed it. The work of reconciling man to God. The work of Jesus paying our debts in full that we might be set free and redeemed and then granting forgiveness and grace instead of judgment and death to all who repent and believe. He could say, it is finished. And then Jesus did something that I don't think we think about much. He went into a tomb. He went into a tomb. And on the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the Passion Week, God rested from his work in the tomb. You ever thought about that? Andrew Peterson has a song entitled, God rested. And in it, he, he describes and he depicts God resting in the tomb following the work of salvation and reconciliation and God resting on the seventh day following the great work of creation. We're supposed to get that picture. God rested on the seventh day after he created all that is seen and unseen and Jesus Christ rested on the seventh day in that tomb after he completed the great work of reconciling sinful man back to his father. Listen to A couple of verses from the song. As the Sabbath fell, they shrouded him, Jesus, in linen. They dressed him like a wound. The rich man and the woman laid him in the tomb. Six days you shall labor. The seventh is the Lord's. In six he made the earth and all the heavens, but he rested on the seventh. God rested. He worked till it was finished, and the seventh day he blessed it. He said that it was good. And the seventh day he blessed it, God rested. So Jesus rested on that Sabbath day in the tomb so that on the first Lord's day, on resurrection Sunday, he could rise from the, de- the dead and declare to all mankind, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, listen with all your might, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. And he can say that and he can do that because he completed the work for us and now rests. When we come to Jesus in faith, you enter the rest of God in Christ. When you came to a saving grace, you gave up foolishly trying to work for your own salvation. You realized you can't do it because you're not good enough, not holy enough. And so when we rest in Christ, we rest in Jesus being good enough. Because he was and he is. He kept the law perfectly. He died on the cross in your place. He rested on the Sabbath day in the tomb. And then he rose on that third day in fulfillment of scriptures to give you the power to rest and be reconciled to the Father. Fantastic. So unlike the Old Testament saints, my beloved, we enjoy the rest of Christ right now. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So any moment of any day when you're anxious or you're unsettled, And there's no rest physically and there's no rest spiritually. We're missing what we currently have. You have all the rest you need now and for all eternity because you have Jesus Christ. And so instead, we are to look forward to, as we rest now, we're to look forward to that everlasting rest that the Old Testament saints look forward to. That day when Christ returns in all the glory and brings us into the rest of the Father. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, So then, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. You say, wait a minute. Do I have it or do I not? Yes, you have the rest. And strive to enter it. Strive to enter into the eternal rest that God offers us in Christ. And I will argue that the Lord's day is one way that we strive to enter that rest. One day, a week, You, consciously and willfully, stopping, resting, and worshiping God with God's people that you might be sanctified. Again, not complicated to understand, but really hard for us to do. The Lord's Day will give you physical rest. We all need that, don't we? Some of you, if you're like me, you've gone four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, two months, no break. How are you at the end of that time? Oh, you're a mess. You're a mess. I don't think it's just me. Anybody who does that, you realize I'm pretty messed up right now. You haven't stopped. You haven't rested. You haven't rightly worshiped God. He's the one that sustains you. He's the one that provides for you. So this rest is a time for us to recover. The Lord's Day should be a time when you recover from six days of maybe hard labor. And you can say, you know, today I'm going to rest in the Lord. I'm not going to worry about work. I'm not going to worry about my bills or my mortgage. I'm not going to worry about these things. I'm going to rest today. And God will bless that, and he'll rejuvenate your mind. And for some of us, our bodies may take more than a day, but he will. He'll help you. He'll encourage you to that end. It'll prevent you from burnout. You know, we're supposed to do all things to the Lord. We're supposed to work unto the Lord. We have so much burnout today, so much anxiety, so many panic attacks, so much depression in the workplace You know why? It's an Egyptian style. It's an Egyptian rhythm. We're not made to do that. And so people are crumbling before our eyes. The rhythm that God desires as image bearers is six days of work and one day of rest. But even better, the Lord's day is to give us the spiritual gift of worship. Look at verse 23 again. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy sabbath day to the lord we're going to look in greater detail at what that day actually looks like in practice when we get to exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 but i want you to see this morning as i close if you don't know this now oh i'm going to pray hard that you you get it today that there's true rest i would say the best rest that you can possibly have in the worship of god true rest true rest rest When you set a time each week designated by God to gather with his people, to take that day to rest from sick days of labor, to take that day to worship God as a people, like what we do here. We pray in the morning. We gather here and we sing and we pray and we read from the word and you hear the proclamation of the gospel come forth and we take communion and then we gather for lunch and we come back and that day of worship is intended to be restful for you. To deny yourself the weekly worship of God. Now listen, because most of us are tired. To deny yourself the weekly worship of God is to deny yourself the gift of rest that God wants you to have. Do you know that? Do you know that? There's an amazing verse in Isaiah, Isaiah, a couple verses in Isaiah 58. And we'll get to this again when we get to Exodus 20. But I want to read it to you now, and then I'll close. Listen. God says through the prophet to his people, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, that means working when they should have been resting, not seeking your own pleasure, engaged in simple fleshly desires, not engaged in idle talk, he said, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you, listen to this, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know what that means? God says, be faithful to honor the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, each week. And he says, I will give you security. That phrase, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, it's a military conquering phrase. He's going to give you security. Rest. If you honor the Sabbath day, he says, I will provide for you. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob. That's the promised land. You'll not go without. So God says, listen, gather on Sunday. Spend the day with your your brothers and sisters in Christ, resting and worshiping in me, and I promise security and provision, protection and provision. He said, I will take care of you. Trust in me. Trust in me. Do Do you understand the sanctifying power of the Lord's day? I mean, we miss it flippantly, a lot of us. We touch it here, we touch it there. There's sanctifying power according to the word of God on this day when you set it aside to rest and worship God as a people. Rhetorical question for you. Do you experience that here? I pray you do. I pray you leave here not only filled from worship but filled from rest. I pray that you leave here on a Sunday afternoon ready and eager to go back to work on Monday, no matter what your job is, no matter how much you hate it, to work unto the Lord because you are filled up, rested up, worship filled. I pray that's the case. I don't think many of us are making this connection between rest and worship. And I don't believe that because many in the Western church, they pit them against each other. So it's something like this. The Christian will say, I know it's the Lord's Day, I know I should be there, I want to be there, but I'm going to stay at home instead, and I'm going to rest. Or I'm just going to pop in and I'll grab the sermon and I'll pop back out. I'm going to use the Lord's Day for something other to rest. I'm going to sleep in or I'm going to engage in activities, maybe do some sports, maybe entertainment, and that will provide me rest. Well, If you tried that, it doesn't work very well, because the rest that God desires for you to have comes through Worship. And the worship that he's designated for his people, going all the way back to Exodus 16, is a day set apart that we do this. That we do this glorious gathering, this convocation to the Lord. We had a family here sometime back that would show up about midway through the service. They'd come in, and then sometimes they'd stay for lunch, sometimes not. And then I asked them, I said, Why, why, why aren't you coming? And, staying and worshiping with us. He said, well, it's the Sabbath day and we spend the Sabbath day going to the movies. And he said, that's where we find our rest. I said, I don't think that's biblical. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's what the Bible says. I wasn't able to convince him of it. What God wants you to see, what he wanted his people in Exodus 16 to see, is that the most restful thing you can do as a Christian is worship God. Do you know that? The most restful thing you can do is worship God. And so he provides that opportunity here and many other places throughout the world every Sunday. Every Sunday, you can rest up in glorious worship to God. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, all their work was done in rest because they were in the presence of God, worshiping Him perfectly. In the eschaton, after Christ comes back, and we spend all of eternity Him, there'll be perfect rest in our worship of the living God. If we're able to get this now, if we, as a church, as we make our way together toward that promised land, now in the wilderness, just like the Israelites, if we can make this connection between rest and worship, I think these days are going to be transformed. I think the Lord's Day will be transformed for you individually and certainly for us as a church. I think that our Sabbath rest will be pleasing to God. I think that maybe we can get our lives more in line with the work-rest rhythm that God created us to have, not the schizophrenic rhythm that many of us keep now. I don't think we'd struggle so much with attendance. I don't think we'd struggle so much participating, feeding fully on the Lord's day. My beloved, God still uses this day to sanctify his people. He still uses this day to provide you rest and worship to him. It's a big deal to him still. He may not be putting us to death immediately, but it's a big deal to him. And it's detrimental to his church when we neglect the Lord's day, when we diminish its sanctifying power. If you can begin to experience rest through worship as God created you, you will not only be a more rested person, a more worship filled person, but I would argue you'd be one of the first ones here and the last ones to leave. You'd be knocking there and saying, Open the door, Pastor, I need some rest. I need some rest, so I'm going to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. What a blessing that would be to you, and what a blessing that would be to the brothers and sisters here as you encourage and help them to rest and worship as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we don't want to be in rebellion. We don't want to rebel against you ignorantly or in the revelation of what you just taught. We know the pace of this culture in many of our lives Many of the dispositions of our own flesh, is to not rest well through worship. And so we ask why you would forgive us individually and collectively as a church for violating such a basic, simple, biblical teaching. Forgive us, Lord, for not resting well in you, bringing harm to ourselves and certainly not establishing the glory that's to go out to the world. We ask instead, Father, that you would take this gift that you've given to your people for centuries, and you would cause it to resonate upon our hearts and minds, that we might become a people that recognize the value, the sanctifying power that comes when we, just like the Israelites centuries ago, gave a day, stopped on that day, and rested through worship to you. I pray, Lord, you would do that here at Cambrian Park Baptist Church and that in our simple submission to your law, realize how good it is for us and glorifying it is to you. Give us that, Father. For those of us who struggle on Sunday mornings, for those of us who struggle getting here on time or getting here at all, for those of us who see worship as burdensome, strip that away, I pray, and reveal the great rest that takes place when we gather and do this when we pray and we sing and we proclaim and we gather together in the sweet fellowship of the saints. Do that here for us, I pray. Do that for all your true churches here in the South Bay. What a glorious thought, Father, that we might be made holy in our obedience to your word. We ask that you do this for Christ's name, his name. Amen.